Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 6, which is titled Fear of Flying. The episode aired on November 7th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Kobe Bryant makes his NBA debut for the Los Angeles Lakers, making him the youngest NBA player in history. He was 18 years, 2 months, and 11 days old. He would go on to win 5 NBA championships and 2 Olympic gold medals over the course of his legendary 20-year career, retiring in 2016. Also, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton defeats Bob Dole to remain U.S. president, and Spice, the debut album from English pop girl group, the Spice Girls, debuts in the U.K., Hello, My Entire Childhood, the album would go on to spawn four number one singles and sell 23 million copies worldwide and would then have a follow-up amazing movie, Spice World, which you all should watch. And I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. I was oh, going to say will. that. I think that's next year. That's, that's, a, that's a lounge episode in and of itself for me. Um, however, No Diggity by Blackstreet featuring Dr. Dre and Queen Penn is now the, num- is the new number one song. And one of the strangest Shakespeare adaptations ever, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, is the number one movie at the box office. If you've never seen that version of Romeo and Juliet, please do. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but like it's it's a goddamn fever dream. Do yeah. not do any sort no, of hallucinogenics and then see, watch it. I, I'm not opposed to Baz Luhrmann because I love Great Gatsby and I loved Moulin Rouge, but I didn't feel this. Really? Yeah. Maybe when we watched it, I was not not feeling it maybe because of the shakespeare dialogue like no like when when, when it's a shake when we say it's a shakespeare adaptation it's the actual like shakespearean dialogue yeah in, with in a modern day like with hawaiian cal- shirts and yeah and uh, no. like european techno music like, they it's... say draw your swords and they pull out giant pistols with a brand name sword on them no i would i wouldn't say that because i've enjoyed the adaptations for much ado about nothing i think a i just hate romeo and juliet as a story fair enough and b I just, I just don't think the cinematography for this one clicked with me. But hey, this one has future ER guest star John Leguizamo. He was also in Moulin Rouge. Uh, yeah, I, I had to watch yeah. it in, like, I had to watch it in, I think like ninth or tenth grade English class, and I did not like it at all. It was, I love it. It's one of, my, it's one, of, it's probably my favorite of his movies. Yeah, you've was... never seen Moulin Rouge though. I have seen Moulin Rouge, and I did not like it. Why, why are we together? We disagree, we disagree on so many critical pop culture points. Why are we together? Listeners, well, uh, chime in on whether or not Lauren should be I don't like Mullen Rouge. Press, press one for us to stay together. Press two for us to split and this become a two-person. Oh, uh, boy. And we fight over who gets Daniel. Oh, boy. All right, what else, what else is on? Uh, so, yeah, 8 p.m. that week, friends with the one with the race car bed. 8.30 p.m., we have The Single Guy once again with the episode titled The Virgin. 9 p.m., we have Seinfeld with The Checks. And at 9.30, suddenly Susan, Golden Girl Friday. Was The Checks, did that ring any bells with you, Lauren? It did not spark any, but like I've said on previous episodes since we've started doing this, if I Googled that Seinfeld episode and read the plot, I'm sure all of a sudden I would go, oh yeah, it's that one. Yeah. It was it, the the brief plot summary I read was like it's about Jerry getting uh, royalty checks from being on like a Japanese show or something. It didn't ring any bells with me, but 
No. In any event, uh, viewers, for this week's episode, we jumped up quite a bit. Uh, last week, I believe we were somewhere in the neighborhood of like 32 million, which is kind of the neighborhood we've been in most of season three. Uh, but we do have a little mini spike this week as we jump up to 36.7 million viewers for this week's episode. Uh, the episode is directed by Christopher Chulock, his seventh of 43 episodes he would do over the course of the series. Uh, the episode is written by Lance Gentile. This is his fifth of seven episodes that he would do, uh, ones that we've talked about previously. Listen to this fucking murderer's row true lies loves labor loss blizzard and another perfect day like damn lance gentile all right so uh getting to the episode uh we opened with a previously on er voiced by stt interview guest herself gloria rubin friend of the show that's obviously what she's known for um seriously go listen to that interview it's excellent the episode proper opens on the roof and susan's worrying about flying on the helicopter and we have uh, some audio for you actually one of only two audio clips this episode because this, this one's weird. This, this whole episode's weird and frenetic. And, but yeah, let's listen into Susan's troubles. Oh, God. The flight rotation was like the highlight of my residency. You'll be fine. I'll be thousands of feet in the air and something shaped like a baked potato with a frat beanie on it. Actually, it's only hundreds of feet. before this that susan has ever shown discomfort around helicopters on the prior roof traumas because she's never been in them she's never had to go in them yeah i think that's the the key i don't i don't think she's ever had to actually fly on one before yeah which you know susan i i, I get susan in this because helicopters <laughs> no because helicopters are basically up there on a wing and a pr- like a, not even a wing and a prayer what are like, aerodynamics yeah are basically just like brute forcing saying fuck you to the laws of aerodynamics <laughs> and yeah i just think of jurassic park when it's like the wind drops yeah yeah and they're terrifying and i would i would never get on one in my life if i if i can help it yeah okay but behind the scenes technical note sherry stringfield actually loved flying on the helicopter by all accounts uh it was the dir- the director of this episode chris chulock who was absolutely terrified and refused to get into the helicopter under any circumstances so <laughs> So we go from there to Carol getting help on her physics homework from her lab partner, William, over at Docs, which I neglected to mention on our last episode when we were introduced to William. William is played by a young actor named Chris Edwards, who uh, has a very limited filmography. There wasn't really much of anything that stood out uh, on his uh, filmography. It seems like he did most of his work as kind of this age, uh, you know, preteen years. Um, but he does make three appearances on the show, this here being his second of three. So this is like a little mini arc for, for William here. Um, but there, he's kind of tutoring Carol as we learn that just in the span of one episode where she was learning, she was like just starting chemistry in the first episode to now physics. or physics. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I was drawing on my own trauma there. Uh, she was, <laughs> she's just starting physics in the last episode. And by this episode, she's already flunking out. So yeah. Good. Good what on you hell? for efficiency there, Carol. She's speaking my language. Uh, but apparently they're discussing string theory in 101 physics. Seems a little advanced, doesn't it? Right. It's a 
concept of physics. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of, in one-on-one physics, well, they kind of just go over... No, because some of the terminology the he's dropping in that makes it sound like they're pretty far into the, the theories. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about string theory. I don't know. I never, I've never taken a physics class. I was, I heard nothing but horrible things at the about the physics class, physics classes in my high school. So I just had bucket and Turk took a, another earth science class my senior year. Shout out for earth science, it's amazing. Yeah, but uh, moving right along, Susan is sitting clenched in the helicopter while Mark is just Mark is admiring the scenery, which is kind of what I, which what I love to do on on aircraft, but except not, helicopters, yeah. cause fuck helicopters. No, I've never, no, I'm never getting in a helicopter. But that's actually going to flying um and susan and he's trying to like nudge susan and be like susan look at the view like isn't this amazing like you know such a such a really pretty such really pretty scenery and yashia snaps back i'm hyperventilating leave me alone (laughs) if that's not a day in this household i don't know what is (laughs) and they just sort of you know the helicopter does helicopter things and like makes creaking noises and banging noises when it when it adjusts its pitch and she grabs mark's legs and grabs mark's leg and leaves it there uh and then they finally do make it out to the to the crash uh which is out in some of the middle an intersection on some rural highway um i forgot to look up where actually where boone county actually i would do it but i put my phone out of hand's reach good job lord they are the first ones out on the scene of the crash like not even like there's a police officer there there's not even an ambulance or a fire truck or anything out there uh pickup truck truck is rolled outside the van has front end impact damage uh, looks like it was a head-on collision, and a woman and her baby are screaming from the van for Susan to get them out. And I need to apologize to everybody involved in this production right now, because this episode was such a ever-evolving mess from start to finish in the best way possible that my notes became an ever-evolving mess from start to finish. It's so fine. as my understanding of what was going on changed, I tried to go back and correct the wrong parts of my notes. But please, audience members, bear with us for any inconsistencies. I did my best. Um... But then with that, we are in with the bangs, and the we go over to the ER, and we find out the ICU has a shortage of beds going on. They're sending down some ventilators to help make up for the fact that they can't take any more patients upstairs right now. Doris, the EMT, brings in an older gentleman named Patrick Brazil, and he has metastatic prostate cancer. I feel like I spelled that wrong, and it should nope. be metastatic. Nope. No, okay. that's what it is, metastatic. <laughs> Okay, then I'm just dumb. He has metastatic prostate cancer, um, and we find out that he wants to be cryogenically frozen when he passes, because he's been waiting eight years to join his wife in their suspension capsule. And as as this is going on, the caretaker that comes with him says, just like those dinosaurs in that movie. Which, uh, nice Jurassic Park reference in the Mike <laughs> Frighten show. Good catch, Lizzie. Slip that in there. Uh, yeah, so the, the caretaker is kind of the, the highlight of this little sequence here because um, we don't really, obviously, Mr. Brazil here never never regains any sort of consciousness. Uh, we never meet him. But his caretaker here is played by an actress named Anna Berger, who's kind of an oh, hey, it's that person. Um, she had uh, appearances in movies like the original taking of Pelham 123, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and Ghost World. And this is kind of the majority of her appearance in the episode here. Uh, she's not really somebody that we vi- revisit too much. Uh, but then we go, cut back out to the main ER is just swamped with people. They are waiting for a float nurse to come in and help out. Uh, we get a name check here, even if we don't actually meet her. Rhonda Sterling is the float nurse's name, who I'll just get this out of the way now. She'll be played by actress Jenny O'Hara. This is her first of two appearances in the series. You probably know her best as Kevin James's mother in King of Queens. 
and the movie Mystic River. But she had over 160, or has, I should say, she's still alive, had over 166 credits uh, to her name on IMDb. So Then we go uh, back over to the field trauma. Susan's getting, uh, the mother's name is Gail, and I think is the... The so so uh, this is the first thing I screwed up. Okay. <laughs> She's getting Gail and Zach out of the car. David is the is the dad that's outside of the car. Okay. So right now she's getting Gail and Zach out of the Zach car. Zach is the 10-day-old baby. Nope, Zach is the, the, the like, son. Yeah, 12, 13. Son. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, okay. the child-aged son, the 10-day-old baby, we don't have her name yet. Yeah, okay. Sorry, there's a lot going on in this one. Yeah, this, this is a very, very busy trauma scene, so... Yeah, so Susan's getting them out of... Is trying to get them out of the car. Yeah. And uh, there's a gentleman from the truck that has uh, brain matter on the pavement, so he's a goner. Then they have a second guy on the pavement on oxygen. And that's David. That's okay. the husband. That's the husband. Awesome. Then they're working on uh, the young boy, Zach, to, in the van to get him out. And just quickly on Zach, because we will see this bear out through the course of the episode, Zach is actually played by two different people. Um, he's played by a set of twins named Jonathan and Joshua Patterson. So I think it is here in like, I think the way it breaks down is there's one kid in the, or one twin in the car. And then the other one, once he's in the gurney uh, in the actual ER, um, cause they do look, I don't think they're identical twins cause they do look noticeably different, but yeah, just thought I'd mention that. Okay, cool. Uh, but Mark calls Susan over to work on the guy on the pavement, the living one they're putting in a chest tube in and it's, this is the husband from the van as previously mentioned. Yeah, this was where I was doing a lot of backtracking and correcting as we got information yeah. once they got to the ER. This is an extremely frenetic episode. Yeah, and it does doesn't really it doesn't really slow down either. Like it's pretty bell to bell frenetic. But we cut back to the ER where we see Jerry on the phone. Uh, he's discussing football bets. You know, he's talking to somebody on the phone about you know betting lines, and then he's also asking for advice from people as they pass the desk. Bears are five and one this yeah. season so far. How you doing there, buddy? <laughs> Uh, yeah, just a cute small through line of Jerry being the most efficient desk clerk. Yep, and he's on another side hustle. Got to respect the hustle. Yeah. And the, then we see, uh, we do actually finally get the first appearance of Rhonda Sterling. Uh, comes in right before a guy screaming in his underwear is brought in by security. And Carol gives her a walkthrough, but she just kind of cuts Carol off and gets right to it. She's she's a very interesting character that goes through kind of a they kind of hype her up a little bit like from the other nurses where they're like oh you're gonna have to like babysit her or like you're gonna good luck with her like that kind of attitude and then she's presented here and she's very like quick to it you know whatever and then i think that characterization kind of shifts by the end of the episode but Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll we'll come back to that as we go along definitely an interesting um introduction to a character for sure and then we find out that Zach stopped breathing after they got him out of the van. They don't have quite the right gear to get him stable on the middle of the highway. Um, Gail, the mom, is screaming in the background, just don't let my son die, don't let my son die. And we find out they're going to have to bag him and move him to get him where there's better visibility. So they're going to have to get him in the helicopter and get him to the hospital as soon as possible to get him better stabilized. And then we cut back over to the ER. Uh, Rhonda has missed an IV and called the doctor right away instead of trying a few times, as Carol suge- as Carol suggests. And they say, up in med surge, we try once and then call them right away, which seems really... Inefficient. Yeah, inefficient. I was trying to think of a word for it. Also, question for the class and for you folks at home. What's the most times someone has missed an IV on you? I was going to get blood drawn after a long day at work and I hadn't been properly hydrated, hadn't had dinner, was just getting a normal like 
just normal amount of blood drawn, but they missed so many times because I wasn't hydrated enough, so my veins weren't showing where they normally would. They eventually had to go in the hand because they could not get ah. my arm. I think it was six times. Mm. It was not a great night. I almost passed out. I honestly couldn't say a number because I was so out of it, but I think – I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I had a real bad habit in college of spending – every new year's in the hospital it, which Daniel. is a, it's a great story for another for the lounge it, uh, would, it, would you believe that not a single one of them involved alcohol uh, if it was anybody else no but you <laughs> yes um it's okay for the tradition of having something happen to me. yeah it was just it was a weird phase i went through where like three or four years in a row i ended up needing medical attention on new year's but one year it was for food poisoning and for another year it was uh, i had ear infections in both years simultaneously and for Gee. one of those, I don't remember which one it was, but for one of those, they were having a real heck of a time getting a, uh, an IV in me. And I know they finally did get it, but when the nurse left the room, I looked over at my IV and like directly below my arm on the sheet, the, the whole sheet was just covered in blood. And so I was like, he clearly struggled. <laughs> like he clearly was having a time getting this thing in there. I don't know how I was like so out of it that I didn't really process any of it. I wasn't in like pain. It didn't hurt or anything, but yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how many times it took, but it was, it was an ordeal apparently. I'm going to, I'm going to jinx this by saying this on a recorded podcast, but I knock on. Do you want to knock on my head no, too? I'm okay. Our wooden countertop is, Sufficient. it's plenty, but I have never had someone miss an IV on me. To my knowledge must be nice right look at me i'm lizzie i have prominent it, veins mm -hmm. i was gonna say i've been told i've been told by multiple nurses i have excellent veins so, which is kind of a weird compliment but must be great i have to be incredibly hydrated for mine to display right i'll have to ask nurse jen for tips on when i get blood drawn how to not feel so gross <laughs> yeah. i'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you about that uh yeah so we go from there back to out to the field trauma susan and mark are working on zach trying to get him into the helicopter uh, Susan runs back to let Gail, the mother, know where her son and husband will be taken and then boards the chopper. We cut back to the ER where they are setting up the trauma rooms for the incoming helicopter patients. We quickly cut over. Again, so many quick, fast, frenetic cuts in this episode. We, we quickly cut over and find out that Mr. Brazil, our first patient of the episode, has passed. And his caregiver that we met earlier uh, asks that they keep him cold in accordance with his wishes until a representative from the cryogenics company can be contacted and dispatched. So another wonderful Jeannie and Maggie bro storyline is the two of them. Yeah, they, they really do seem to like that pairing, don't they? It's there, a good one. There's something yeah. about that pairing that somebody in the writer's room liked. But uh, our traumas have arrived from the helicopter. Uh, first one is Zach, the little is Zach, the little boy. Uh, Doug is running the trauma, and Lauren again. Who's filmed her those? Yeah. <laughs> Film check. Those are adult bodies. They have not had time to run scans. <laughs> Who's filmed her those? Guys, you got to empty out this trauma room in between. It's not going to be useful if another patient's films are accidentally on the board. <laughs> Get with me. For any listeners yeah. who actually work in an emergency room, please justify this to me. Whose films are those? But uh, Rhonda, you can just tell from her initial appearance here, is just going to be totally useless in the, in this whole situation. Uh, yeah, Zach's the eight-year-old, and I think they they tap his belly to mm -hmm. see if there's. Blood I, I think belly. it's this. I think it's the abdomen. Yeah. Yeah. So and he has blood tap, so they need to page run because something ruptured. And then we go over to the second trauma, which is the dad, David, and he is not responsive to any stimulus. And while they're checking on David, Mark signs the consent 
for surgery for Zach because the dad is unconscious and the mom is not there. And dad here, again, we, we haven't fully met him yet because he's still kind of unconscious, but I'll just get this out of the way now. Um, dad, Dr. Harley is the character's full professional title, uh, played by actor Dwyer Brown, who I certainly recognize and I'm sure a lot of other people will recognize from the movie Field of Dreams, where he played... Now uh, that you said it. Yep, he plays Kevin Costner's dad, who shows up at the very end of the movie. Um, and this is first of three appearances in ER, so they're going to obviously make a little little mini arc out of this. Huh, okay. Yeah, and I, I did look it up there. The, it's the three episodes, like, it's this one and then the next two. So it's not like a situation where, we're, like, with Bradley Whitford, where we're going to have a little mini arc and then he's going to disappear for a while and come back. Like, this is, we're going to get this out of the way over the next three episodes. I want more Bradley Whitford in ER. Anyway, what happens next? Uh, we go back over to Zach, and okay, so Rhonda has this system where she draws meds and like puts them like in her in her little like basically she has like a little utility belt. She has but, a fanny pack. Yeah, but like with the different slots for yeah. different for different sets of needles. So before a uh, little detail we glossed over is that Carol needed her to draw up some potassium to give an, another patient, not for the trauma. So that's still in her little utility belt. Because the traumas came in and interrupted. Yeah. So Carol's asking different, you know, Kara's asking for different things. And Rhonda's obviously flustered because, you know, I can imagine this is probably one of her first traumas that she's ever been a part of. And mm-hmm. I can imagine it's an incredibly intimidating and confusing experience for someone who hasn't been a part of one. So instead of giving the correct med that little Zach needs, Rhonda accidentally starts to give him some potassium, which if you don't, if you don't know what that does, that can pretty much basically stop your heart in high enough doses. If you're, if you don't need it. Yeah. It was saline that she should have flushed his IV with and instead she injected potassium directly into the IV. So thankfully she only did like a quarter CC, I believe is what they said before she realized her error. And because like he, because Zach like instantly like started like not quite like seizure, but like convulsing like, and like he's yeah. in pain. Yeah. Yeah. And starts screaming in pain. And so it nearly stopped his heart. But, you know, thankfully he stabilizes pretty quickly because since it was only a small amount and they realized the error, so they were able to counteract it very quickly. Whew. But Rhonda is mortified and bails. Yikes. So then we go from there back over to dad's trauma and just again, this total chaos in this episode um, we have susan and mark both working here and they're they're both asking for a pericardiosynthesis tray at the same time working on putting a central line in on dad here we find out that gail and baby have not arrived at the hospital that they were being sent to yet which is another little through line that we will continue to follow up on throughout the episode yep and then we go back over to zach and carter gives his patient summary to dr keaton before they do any further operations or treatment and Dr. Keaton's just like, where are his parents? <laughs> like, why are you why are you signing off on this boy's surgery? What's going on? And then we cut back over to dad's trauma one more time. And uh, he's starting to come around. Uh, very disoriented, though. Asks, uh, am I on call? And he's kind of repeating himself. And they're already thinking that they need to get a head CT on this guy uh, to assess the extent of his head trauma. Uh, but then once they hear him repeating the am I on call question and how clearly disoriented he is they go ahead and say let's put a rush on that what accident yeah Uh, and then carol outside the trauma room approaches Rhonda and just very seriously just tells her you have no business working in the er which Rhonda, you know is self-aware enough that she realizes you don't think i know that (laughs) i didn't ask to be put down here man (laughs) yeah like bro i'm trying yeah 
And then from there, we have Jeannie. She checks with Mark about the guy's cryogenics request. Like, hey, what do we do with this guy? Are we okay to to keep him cold? What do we need to do? And Mark's like, yeah, sure. Fine. <laughs> so Jeannie's on the ball with Mr. Brazil. And then Mark is watching Susan while she's on hold with dispatch to find out what's going on with Gail and um, the baby. And we find out they may have to go back for the wife and the baby because nobody showed up to get them yet. No, the their injuries were too severe. To be moved by ambulance? No, to for the, for the trauma center out there in the sticks to handle. Thank you, I missed that. I believe, right, Dan? Yeah, it's it's something like that. I mean, like you said, it's the episode's just pure chaos, so little things like little details like that are gonna get missed. Yeah. Either way, they have to go back and Susan's like, I got it. Uh, and then we cut up we cut up to Benton, Keaton, and Carter working on Zach and Benton gets to finish the surgery. Everything seems like it's going pretty smoothly. Okay. With with Zach. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So then we see uh, back up to the uh, helipad where we see that Susan is getting paged for chopper duty. Jeannie is keeping Mr. Brazil on ice until the cryogenics rep arrives. Uh, the ice thing is going to be another little through line that we'll follow up on over the next few scenes. And uh, we see a, a quick little scene between Susan and Mark where she insists on going on the chopper to get the mom and the baby, despite Mark telling her she doesn't have to, that he'll do it instead. And she's like, no, I really want to do this. Then kisses Mark on the cheek and then goes. Very odd scene here. And with, with this, the way they've played it out and the way they've played, like, the two of them kind of staring at each other and everything. I thought this would have been, in today's writing, a perfect spot for her to just kill her off. I hadn't considered that till I read your notes, and you're absolutely right. Like, it, like, it makes yeah, perfect the sense. Frame, the way they frame that, they could have easily just been like, all right, Sherry, that's your last shot. Bye. Yeah. Like, it's so well done. They could have easily turned into a tragedy strikes the ER episode. Yeah. So here's the question, you know, we knowing what we, the three of us know, having watched the entire series, do you think with the benefit of hindsight, do you think that would have been the better way to go? No, because I, because I really like her repeat, her coming back. You, you do? Oh, you're yeah. a fan of her. I, like, I, I, yeah, I her a, second run irritates me. Her, her second run. I mean, I'm happy she's back, but it's, it's how little she's given to do frustrates me to no end. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm glad she comes back because I love her family storyline. I'm just going to leave it at that. But I love her personal storyline when she comes back. It's very cute. Fair. Yeah. If only for her and Carter, which I shipped so goddamn hard. Yeah. But yeah. On, but also, I see how a lot of people could think her return was very middling. And this would have been a good way to kind of deal with that. Yeah. 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 That's my thing. It's just it. I'm always happy to see her back. But then I'm always reminded so quickly that it's the this this Susan and the Susan that comes back in later seasons are two very different characters, I think. And granted, I mean, of course, they should be there should be growth there. But I just mean in terms of how they are handled and how they're treated within the hierarchy of the cast, you know, like this Susan means a lot more to the cast than the Susan who comes back in season nine or whatever it is like she just clearly isn't given the same uh, importance as this Susan is. I definitely agree on that and I think that it's really important that we acknowledge that and that you know while there is growth and change that it might not be the change that everybody wants to see and I think if they were to have killed her off instead of writing her to leave and then come back this would have been the spot to do it yeah for sure uh then we go up to back up to the surgical floor doctor everything seems to have gone well with the clo with closing on zach uh dr cut 
Keaton sends Carter to the ICU to get the directions carried out because, you know, obviously, Zack is still in pretty rough shape, uh, so he will need to be go up to the to the ICU for in, for for intensive care on the intensive care unit. <laughs> and Benton is going to join Dr. Keaton in another surgery. So, <laughs> Benton did we'll well. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And then we have Susan returns safely with Gail. Uh, Mark is filling her in on how the dad and son are doing, and the baby is crying nice and loud. And when that happens, um, I believe... I can't remember who asks this, but it's the best line ever. Like, are you hurt? I think it's Doug. Mm-hmm. They get her downstairs, and Doug's checking on her. And he goes, are you hurt or just mad at the world? And I love that line so much. But then... Um, it's such a 2020 mood. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's perfect. 2020, are you hurt or just mad at the world? And then we have Maggie and Jeannie go over to Doc Magoo's and ask the woman at the counter for ice because they have to freeze a dead guy. So there's a little bit of a time skip here now after, because I think this is a, a, a commercial break that it comes back yeah. from. But uh, Benton is scolding Gant, of course, for not doing a full exam of the baby before he before he gets there, the baby from the from the accident. And what's positive for blood? Her, I think her stool or something. Yeah, and something something in her. We forgot to get the exact detail. It's, is positive. Uh, yeah, I think blood. it's a I think it's a similar type thing to what they did with Zach. Like it's a, a tap. Yeah. It, it's just so hard because this, again, this trauma moves so fast that for us non-medical people, this was one of the ones that was a little hard to keep up with. Yeah. And this little baby is named Megan and she's only 10 days old. Uh... And mom is, you know, kind of justifiably terrified to sign, to sign the consent form for a surgery because, it, you know, A, the kid's 10 days old. Right. And... Be, you know, apparently, apparently because the husband's a doctor, he makes all the medical decisions in the family. So she's nervous to sign up without without him knowing, but he has no idea yeah. what's going on right now. So um, Doug tries to defend Gant's exam decision, you know, to do one thing but not another. And then Dr. Keaton comes in to evaluate Megan and try to, try to calm her down and soothe her. And she manages to put an IV in the leg where Peter didn't even see a vein. So that's one of the things too, is that they're having trouble getting a, getting an IV on the little kiddo. Um, and Gant gets to follow the case through and scrub in on the surgery. Yep. Because Abby says like, yep, since you started this exam and you know, you were thinking ahead about trying to do as little trauma to her as possible. Yeah. Scrub on in. Yeah. It's like, if we don't have to like poke and prod a 10 day old baby, yeah, 10 day old baby as much as we would, uh, you know, a 40 year old man or however old the however old the dad is yeah can't finally catches a break yeah kind of he, kind he of deserves yeah. i know i've like i mean i knew that his storyline was not a happy one but i i've been shocked to see just how like he really it's relentless like he never catches a break it's really sad but we go from there back to mr brazil who is now totally covered in ice and the representative from the cryogenic company shows up and commands that they give him 10,000 units of heparin. And I believe it's uh, Maggie who says to Jeannie, is he a doctor? Like, should we should we be doing this? <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't think so, but it can't hurt. He's already dead. So, uh, And just a technical note here, I learned that the uh, ice that he's covered in here is actually chopped up silicone. So they didn't just uh, cover I the guy. I don't know why that I just pictured the texture of that and it just it made, ugh, yeah. made No, that's weird. And then we go up to the surgery for Megan and Gant answers a question that Dr. Keaton asks while they're up there. And she goes, oh, you're teaching your interns well, Peter. Peter's like, no, I don't like Gant, man. 
So David the dad is finally awake and um like we think he's starting to really come around, not just that dazed kind of answering he was doing earlier. And Mark gives him a summary on how the family is doing. They're like, oh, you know, in the accident, blah, blah, blah. And he keeps asking, what accident? Like, they go over it. He keeps asking. And he go over it and keeps asking. And then Mark's like, sir, do you remember my name? And he clearly doesn't. And Susan's just like, it's okay. So they're a little concerned about how this dad's doing because something ain't right. Because, yeah, see, they're really concerned that he might have a brain bleed because clearly dude is concussed mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of how bad he is but uh, we go back up to the surgery and oh boy <sighs> it begins dr keaton i still feel weird calling her abby because mm-hmm. i keep thinking abby nurse abby doctor dr lockhart so dr keaton lets peter finish the surgery alone because carter bursts in to say that zach's abdomen is distended you know it's worse than it is before the surgery so which leaves Benton alone in the surgery with Gant and closing up on his own. So the first uh, first time he's closed up solo. Like he closed up before, you know, but Dr. Keaton was still in there and everyone else, you know, is still very much supervised. But there's a little piece of fiber on the liver and Benton is like, oh, I'll just I'll just wipe that wipe that away and very gently tries to get it off, you know, but and gets the little fiber off. But then there's some bleeding, and Gant does some suction, and there's still bleeding. And Benton does something that apparently you're not, you're never supposed to do, and puts tries to put a stitch in the liver on a on a ten day old liver. Yeah, like earlier in the surgery, um, they had they were talking about like wound closing stitching techniques, and Abby said like, oh, don't use blah 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 because it'll be too heavy gauge yeah. or something do it she's she repeats several times do exactly as i say no more just close up no more no less just closer she's good to go and i had another th- does that does this remind you of love's labor lost to anybody else yeah again i hadn't considered that until you said that but you have a point like in a different way like but it's it is very much that same sort of helpless kind of roller coaster feeling of love's labor lost where with Love's Labor Lost, it was more about, like, the drawn-out dread of everything, where everything was going perfectly until it wasn't, and then he, like, he couldn't put the genie back in the bottle once it started going bad. Whereas this, it, it's more of, like, I don't know, it's, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, you know, things are going... Like, it was like that episode in season one where Benton hadn't gotten any sleep, and we were... Yes. The whole episode, we were like, all right, he's gonna fuck up this time, and he's really gonna fuck up, but then he didn't. Until the very end, you know, it was it wasn't until the very end. So it, it kind of felt like that with this one, where it was like we knew something bad is going to happen, but we just weren't sure what and how bad. And uh, agreed, yeah, mm, this episode. So then we go from there uh, over to check in with Doctor Keaton, who is examining Zach, and just a quick, like, nice little character uh, thing here. Like her calm kind of experience here manages to win out here. We see that we see kind of the dichotomy between these two scenarios. You know, like her kind of calm steady uh experience versus benton's kind of over eager almost bordering on hubris where he's like i can fix anything and she's just very calm and steady she you know irrigates and fixes the distension in zach's abdomen and so there's no need there's no need to open him back up so it was like a simple fix and it was all because she was patient she relied on her own knowledge and just fixed assessed the problem and then acted on it 
I think it was just that there had been a clot in the stint that they had put in, mm-hmm. so she just had to irrigate it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which she tells Carter, like, it's okay. It's these things happen. Easy to miss if you don't yep. know what to look for. Yep. So it's it's a nice. I like the way they they set that up to where you get to see kind of the two sides of the same coin. That that the only separation there is experience. Like she knows what she's doing. Yep. And then we have Benton is now applying a gel foam on the site to try and kind of seal the wound. And Gant keeps asking repeatedly, should we get Dr. Keaton? Do you want me to go get Dr. Keaton? Do we need to go get Dr. Keaton? Can I go get Dr. Keaton? Like all varieties of that question are asked during this time. And at this point he's put in three stitches. Yep. Now. And the anesthesiologist notices that her pressure has started to drop and is like, get this baby off the table and Benton finally tells Gant to run and go get Dr. Keaton. So we'll come back and see how little baby Megan's doing, but it's not good when your anesthesiologist is telling you what to do. Shit's not great. But then they tell Gail about David's memory loss, and she's like, oh shit, how bad is it? We'll find out. Yeah. And uh, we go back to the surgery, and Gant brings Dr. Keaton back with him. And... So yeah, we were, and it's revealed that Benton has pulled off the liver capsule, which, which sounds... I hope I got that note right. Considering I'm fucking up names today, maybe yeah, I it's didn't. okay. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, but yeah, so it's basically there's it's there's no easy way to fix it. So and she is not, she is less than thrilled. She we'll is say. ice. Yeah, she's she she shows her mean side. Like stern. Her, her stern side. Okay, fine. Her stern side. That's I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it, it's it drifts that line. Like, she does at one point get very, very stern with him. Yeah. In our next audio, in our next audio, which we'll have coming up here pretty soon. Very spicy. Yeah. We see, we see, a, we see a side of Dr. Keaton this episode that we do not see, I don't think, at all mm-hmm. in her other appearances. So, spicy. We'll find out. I'm here for it. Um, and then we have Gail gets to go be wheeled up and see David. He asks what happened to her, and then he slowly starts kind of remembering, puts the pieces together, and just asks, was there a truck? And she just goes, yeah, yeah, there was a truck. And it's just, it's really good acting by both of them, and I'm glad to see that we start to see him coming around and coming too. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Keaton is discussing, is starts to discuss what went wrong with Benton and... Benton tries to defend himself against her instructions, but she says, I don't, I didn't ask for your judgment. I asked you to do the thing. Repeatedly, that's the line. Yikes. So then we go back down to the admit desk where Mark is working on charts, and he says, I hate doing chart QA. And as he's doing this, uh, we see Susan kind of creeping on the other end of the desk and watching. They've done this a couple of times over the course of the episode, and earlier it was Mark directed at Susan where they're just kind of like staring at each other but without looking without the other person looking it's very they're clearly it's still doing the like will they won't they think we're, we're building towards yeah we're building towards the the end with these two but it's it's just odd they're doing it in the oddest way possible <laughs> and then we see Carol talking to Rhonda about the pro- the pressures of the ER and how she cannot let her work in the ER again so not a good day for Rhonda yeah. nope um, and yeah, she's just like, go, go stock. Yeah, kids yeah, go stock supplies for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yep. And then we have Gail goes and gets to go in and see Zach, and Carter is sitting there watching him. And Pete's Carter is good, Carter. He is so good with these kids. He's so much more thoughtful in a way that he isn't with his adult patients. Like every time we've seen Carter be a shining doctor, it's been with the little, the younger patients, I think. Yeah. I think the, I think this whole 
storyline of him, you know, being sort of like essentially an associate intern of pediatric yeah. surgery through Benton right. is honestly does more for his character development and it's like his overall you know bedside manner and his attitude towards medicine as a whole than any other thing up to this point yeah i would agree with that like we see the most we see the most john carter md moments come out of the peds cases yep he certainly had more character development this season than last already like just just in the six episodes of three than i would say in the entirety of two they're playing catch up and then we find out no one from surgery has been down to tell Gail about Megan's status yet. Her baby is potentially dying on the table, and no one has come down to talk to her about this. Yeah, so, but uh, we're going to cut over to our second and final audio clip for the episode here. Uh, this is Dr. Keaton and Dr. Benton uh, discussing discussing the failures of Dr. Benton at, in trying to close up that surgery. Blood gas has improved. Not by much. Um, could you excuse us, Kate Dennis? Thank you. I'm sorry, I should never have left you unsupervised. There are nuances in neonatal surgery. The liver's more friable in newborns. I wanted a clean field before I closed. Yeah, you said that. Well, it seemed appropriate. What's at issue here is that you ignored my specific instructions. No, I didn't ignore anything. I followed standard operative procedures. Look, I've done it at least a dozen times in other patients. This is not another patient. This is an infant. Outside, now. You don't know anything about pediatric surgery. Look, I thought it was necessary. Are you unwilling to learn from your mistakes? It doesn't say in the text not to stitch a liver. It isn't in the text. You didn't know what the hell you were doing. The second you realized you screwed up, you should have called me. Why did I find three stitches in there? Because I was I'll trying to I'll tell you get... why. Because you arrogantly and blindly think you have all the answers. If that baby dies, it'll be my responsibility. But it'll be your fault. Dr. Keaton, she's crashing. Pulse socks is 86, heart rate's down to 45. Increased breast sounds are on the right. Atropine 0.04. Sounds like a pneumothorax. Chest x-ray. Don't need it. Increased translumination on the right side, it's a pneumo. Chest tube tray. This is no longer a teaching case. 12 French. She's going to need a repeat ABG. Okay. Pulse is up to 72, but it's ready. Dynamap's not registering a BP. Get ready with that thoracil. She's arresting. Heart rate's down to 20. Damn. Let's start CPR. Epi, 1 to 10,000.4. Atropine, 0.08 milligrams. How's the blood gas? pH, 7.3. PO2, 45. PCO2, 30 and 100% oxygen. Uh, we're going to have to put her on an ECMO bypass. Uh, kid, call the tech. Get two units on neck to prime the system. I'll cut down to the internal jugular. So do we bring her back up to the OR? No, we're going to bring the OR to her. Goddamn. Right. Oof. We did, this is the first episode this season where I don't think we're going to have a goddamn Gloria Rubin, so we're going to have a, a goddamn Glenn Healy. Like, that's damn. She she dominates that whole two minutes there. Yeah, it's just... Uh, she's such a good presence. I'm so sad we only get her for nine episodes. Yeah. yeah. Like, this entire episode is basically the reason why I remember her so fondly as a character. Mm-hmm. And this scene in particular showcases everything that I love about her character in, in this episode. Agreed. It's also always wonderful to see Benton get put in this place. Because that doesn't happen enough. I love when she said, are you not willing to learn from your mistakes? Yeah. After she just got finished like, telling him last episode, like, shut up. Don't apologize. Just shut up and learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah, don't apologize. Do better. Yeah. Nope. So then we have 
David, the father, calls Mark over and he asks what time it is and how his family's doing. It looks like he's starting to be cohesive and coherent. And then as they're talking, the extra behind them looks just like Sean Astin, in my opinion. A little bit. A little okay. too old for Sean Astin yeah. at this time. At this, uh, at this in time. In Older but... older Sean Astin. Yeah. Middle-aged Sean Astin. Looks, looks like. like Sean Astin in Stranger Things. I was just going to say, Stranger Things, Sean Astin. Yeah, yeah. I love not, Stranger not, Things, Not quite Sean Samwise Gamgee. No. But. <laughs> uh, so then we cut over from there. We see Carol telling Mark about young Megan crashing in the NICU. And Susan happens to see them working on her upstairs when she goes to look for someone for a status update. So, yeah. Things are not going great for Megan, or really anyone at this point. No, no, it's a bad day all around. Yeah, and we go back over to Dr. Keaton and Benton working on Megan, and Megan has been down for 22 minutes. Ah! What? Just that. Yeah. It's just, it's so bad. they're, They're doing a goddamn heart-lung bypass on a 10-day-old baby. But once they successfully hook up all of that stuff, she is she does, in fact, regain a heartbeat and a pulse, and she does start to pink up. And I love that phrase. She She's not uh, she's not doing well yet, yet. So that's all that's all the information that Susan and Mark get. So they're outside watching. It's all, it's all we hear is not good. Yeah. And Gant has to have Benton try to uh, sign the code sheet and tries to comfort Benton by saying that, you know, everyone's human and we all make mistakes. And of course, Benton in true Benton fashion just says, any other words of wisdom, Gant? And then <laughs> Gant finally stands up for himself a little bit. This becomes his house character with yeah. this next line. And just says, you're a real prick, you know that? As the elevator door closes. Yes. With how much House I watched, I cannot for the life of me remember what the character name was that he played on House. And he was there the whole time. Oh, but this is God, you're putting me on the spot. I, what I is watched... his fucking name? I watched the whole series. Did you watch Did you watch a bunch of House too? No, I watched the whole series. I, I didn't watch it. I mean, I watched it like off and on when it was on, but like I watched it on Netflix literally like five, six years ago. The whole uh, thing. Yeah, I binged it on Netflix when it was all on there. Um, but yeah, I cannot for the life of me remember that character's name. But this is very much that like... You can see his training with Benton paid off for him dealing with Gregory House. So apparently I was reading, uh, apparently there was big like discussion amongst the writers and producers for this episode as far as whether or not uh, Gant saying prick here was going to get them in hot water with, you know, standards and practices and stuff because they have to submit the episode ahead of time for any, you know, stuff like that. And so there was apparently a lot of discussion like, should we keep this in or not? Or is this going to get us in trouble? And so the, ultimately they all kind of voted like, you know, okay, we'll leave it in. And if they want us to take it out or tone it down, we will. But we think it's strong enough that it needs to stay in the episode. So they send it in. Right. And then apparently, like, it got a complete like thumbs up green light from standards and practices because, and the, this is conjecture on the part of the writers and stuff, but the, the assumption was that they thought that uh, they agreed with Gant. <laughs> like that <laughs> they basically were just like, yeah, yeah, he is a prick. So that, that can stay. This is story accurate that, and yeah. worth sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Tracks, and it's yeah. not sexual. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was funny. Now I want to rewatch House. God damn. I know. Um, you're, it's driving me crazy now trying to think of what is. And I'm sure somebody who's listening to this is screaming into their headphones. Like, God, I've watched the whole series. How can I not? <laughs> like, I, I feel like I've like, seen. I'm thinking Cameron. Yeah. Um, that's Foreman. Foreman. That's it. 
Cameron Chase and Foreman. There we Which go. Which actually, I'm just now realizing his name in the show is Eric Foreman. How did we never pick up on that? Dr. Eric How Foreman. the hell did we yeah. never pick up on that, that another Fox show had another Eric Foreman character? Like, I, I never heard his first name, so it never... That's would have occurred. Hilarious. We that's only the first have... time I've ever heard that it's Dr. Gregory House. And yeah, so it's I Gregory just... House. They always call each other by last names. You don't, like, Cuddy's Cuddy, Wilson's Will. You never hear their first names. I need to rewatch it, It's so telling. It's it's so telling, though, that, like, he he's, I mean, part of it is personal bias because, you know, I'm a bigger ER fan than I am a House fan. Such different They are. They're wildly different shows, and House is great, but not as good as er in my mind house is a great over-the-top character drama with some sure. very very floppy medicine right they just both happen to take place primarily in hospitals but it's it's telling to me that like how many more episodes and how much longer he was his character on house and yet to me when i see omar epps and i think medical show i still think dennis gant like nope i i think house but that's because again my exposure to him came yeah. with my house not so much with er true because of how much of a baby i was when this would have been on yeah i don't know house was on during my peak high school years. oh yeah it definitely was for me too i mean house was house i think house probably eh, my mom because as i've said on the show before like my mom was kind of the entry point for me to er like this was a show that she watched a lot when i was a kid but by the time I was in high school, I definitely think her attention was starting to wander towards either House or Grey's Anatomy. Like, she did a little bit of both. My dad would get told he looked like Gregory House if he had scruff, and he would get so mad because he thought House was such an asshole. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, dad. there's plenty of good-looking assholes in the world, you know. It's... My dad was one of them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I love you, dad. But um, here's a question. Since we talk about doing commentaries, can we do a couple House episode commentaries on behalf of Omar Epps? We, we can, we can, we can discuss, discuss it. We, we can certainly do that. Yes, even if it's just Daniel and I, if you don't want to watch House with me. Um, but then from there, we go over to Carter and Abby talking to Gail about the operation and Megan's current status. And Benton and Carter are in the background while Abby tells Gail that, no, your, your kid might die. Like, she's not okay. This is not good. And it's just so well acted and performed by everyone, even those without lines in this. Like, everybody's just definitely carrying the weight of the scene. And then while this is going on, um, we also see another crack poster in the hallway by the NICU. <laughs> Say it right. Another just, crack poster. Sorry. Another crack poster. Once Daniel pointed out the first one, I just noticed this one. And I was like, that's a, that's a crack poster. <laughs> He's right. It just says crack. Yeah. Like, it doesn't appear to be any follow-up message. Like, there's not, like, don't do crack or crack is whack or anything. It's just. It's, it's crack is scary. Don't touch it. <laughs> it's like. So as we, as we start to wrap up the episode here, we see Benton going in to check on little Megan and he starts to pray over her and then struggles to remember the words. Um, and I, I think it's one of the, the NICU nurses comes over and is just like, are you okay? Like kind of, kind of being weird there guy, like praying over the baby. And he's like, I can't remember the words despite the fact that isn't this the prayer that he always used to say that had some significance with his mom. I, I think that's the point is that like the Lord is my shepherd blah 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 yeah all that. that's really disrespectful of me i apologize to any uh listeners who are of the christian faith but um yeah and i feel like this is the one because it's showing kind of how far he's fallen mm -hmm. that this prayer that he talked about being so important to him when he was talking to genie about his mom he then turns around and in this moment of crisis he's like i can't remember yeah 
Like, I've so lost touch with everything important to me in this in this struggle to be number one best surgeon that, what have I done? Right. That's so, kind of the symbolism, I think, if I'm right. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. And so that, that kind of takes us to the end of the episode. We don't get... We don't get a resolution on this uh, here. I'm assuming based on, like I said earlier, dad shows up in the next two episodes. So I'm assuming we do eventually get it. I don't, I, I mean, I remembered this episode, but I didn't remember it ending on a cliffhanger like this. So we'll see what happens in the next couple. A um, couple of little technical notes as we wrap up here. The episode did win an Emmy for outstanding sound mixing. Uh, so that does poke a hole in my theory from either last episode or a couple episodes before where we weren't sure if Gloria Rubin got any award recognition for this season and i said that i thought that this was the season they went over um but i wonder if that's because this could count as a technical emmy which they separate those mm-hmm. out like on-screen stuff versus technical stuff so well remains to be seen there and then the other thing is that no weaver this episode no uh, she appears she appears in the opening intro but not at all on screen this is a real good episode gang it was i I was shocked when we got through it and we realized we only had two sound clips just because it moved so fast and there were so many like little things, but it was, the content was so much more thematic than it was audio to where it didn't feel constructive to get any of it mm-hmm. for yeah. the most part. This is, and also because it was all in like 15 yeah. or 30 second <laughs> bits, which, you know, have their, have their use and we've certainly used them before, but still it's just like jesus yeah yeah a little bit of a whiplash episode but it was so good i'm glad there weren't any of those huge tonal shifts where they try and put giant goofs in where they don't fit Mm -hmm. like this was very much a tonally structured and well thought out episode yeah this is probably my favorite one of the season so far i think my only real issue with it is the quote-unquote comic relief part which i'm legit which the mr brazil i didn't mind it I thought it was small enough and non-intrusive enough that it was just goofy. And it happened early enough in the episode. I don't know. If it had happened during the middle of the worst of the Megan stuff, mm-hmm. then I would have a problem with it. But yeah. it happens right before everything kind of breaks bad. I feel like... Okay, so my, my thought on this is that I feel like the show gets kind of scared sometimes. The writers get scared mm. in that they try to have a little bit of lightness where there doesn't necessarily need to be. Because this, you take out that you take out that storyline. I think this is a ten out of ten episode. Like I think it's yeah. a nine out of ten episode as it as is. But I think you take out the Doctor Brazil or the Patrick Doctor Brazil. Yeah, the, the cryogenic storyline, yeah. and it's a perfect episode. So I think my my main problem that I keep getting frustrated with is that the writers seem to think that you have to have some sort of levity when Love's Labor Lost showed us. You can have 25, 30 minutes of just pure drama and just pure focusing on one big storyline. And that can be the best, one of the best episodes in the entire series. You don't need comic relief every now and then. And I feel like with this season so far that we have, you know, we're in episode six now, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I feel like they're leaning a little bit too hard on the comic relief storylines hmm. we'll see how that develops yeah. for sure yeah i mean i i agree I, I agree actually with the first half of your argument as far as like this probably would be up there as like a top I, you would i think you would hear this episode get talked more about as like one of the best episodes of the series as a whole you know like watching it now in a vacuum 
it's great. Like you said, nine out of 10 probably, but I don't know that I've ever really heard anybody go to bat for this episode as like one of the best of the entire series. The same way that you hear about like a love. And I mean, again, going back to the very top of the episode where we talked about Lance Gentile's pedigree here. I mean, he wrote Love's Labor Lost. He wrote Blizzard. Like this, this guy clearly knows how to write an episode that is heavy on the drama and doesn't rely on a lot of the but even with blizzard like that did that managed to to toe the line pretty well between drama and levity too that was the whole episode where they had carter in a cast for half the episode right and they had the wheel the them playing uh, like wheelie stuff in the halls while it was empty so i mean there there's i think there is a balance to be struck with that I, i do agree though that love's labor lost is a perfect example of how you can you can do just the drama and come out with something that is not just a great episode in a vacuum, but is an all-time great episode. Um, mm. But I also kind of agree with Lauren too, where you know the I think that the the attempt at levity here is inoffensive and unintrusive enough that to me it it carries. Like it's like she said, they got it out of the way early in the episode. It wasn't something that was constantly being referred back to, even as everything else is burning down. So I don't know. I, I again, like you said, it's it's raw semantics because we're talking about nine out of ten versus ten out of ten. Like it's, yeah. I think, I think it's clearly the episode of the season so far. I I said to both of you after I watched it, like finally, like it took us six yeah. six episodes into this season before we finally got like an absolute heart thumper, like an absolute wall to wall heart pounding episode. We were all like, "That's an ER episode." Yeah, yeah, and I think part of what I think. Part of what you were saying as to why this episode isn't necessarily referred to with like the all timers from this series. I think part of that has to do with the pacing. Mm. And I think the removal of the storyline of the of the cryogenic storyline took maybe two, three minutes of screen time. Yeah, total. but if they need to fill that, what would you put it with? I would just honestly, I would just leave it as is. But if you have to have 42 minutes 42 minutes and you take out the two minutes of levity here's 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 what i would have done well okay here's what i would have done how i would have fixed it because this will make everybody happy so if if we (laughs) we take out the brazil storyline that's gone now we we, we just basically take genie and doyle and put them in the corner with weaver because it's it's already been established here that we don't need everybody in this episode so you yeah, just take not. and genie's been doing enough heavy lifting the first five episodes anyway so you just take genie and doyle put them over in the corner with weaver uh at the beginning of the episode at like when they're first doing the field trauma thing we take zach like they they manage to get because zach's kind of inconsequential anyway for the most part so i say you take the dad and you take the daughter to mm. to county on the first pass and then they need to go back to get mom and Zach on the second pass. We let Susan go. We let we let her go do her thing. And then to fill that last three minutes of screen time that you've cut out with the Brazil thing, you leave it on another cliffhanger. I mean, you, you still leave the episode on a cliffhanger, but the cliffhanger is, is that we're led to believe that the helicopter crashed. Now, it didn't. Yes. She's fine. We find that out in the next episode that everything's okay, but... They just lose communication. They lose communication. Something happens where we are led to believe at the end of that episode that Benton has fucked up and potentially killed a 10-day-old baby. Mark, who has fumble-fucked around for the last, you know, half a season and didn't tell Susan how he really felt about her, now he's now he's ending this episode thinking she's dead. Right after that pointed um, ghost story of he never told right. her how he I, yeah. I think that's how you fix this episode to where it takes it from a really good episode in a vacuum to like an all-time great one. And 
you know, again, she's not dead. They didn't actually crash the helicopter. Everything's fine. But that I think would make, like I said, it would make everybody happy. It would, it would take out Lizzie's levity that she doesn't want in this episode. And it would add in that little extra layer of drama with Susan's storyline that otherwise kind of feels a little bit tacked on here. So, but again, great episode all the way around. There's no, I mean, it's, it's still a fantastic episode as currently constructed. Folks, let us know how you think, what, who you agree with in this whole and always i'm in the middle yeah but uh that's why we're gonna wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening as always this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash saying the tone podcast for only a dollar a month you can get access to our show notes each week for only five dollars a month you can get access to the full season recap episodes a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk jerry and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Fox Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me double-checking my Twitter handle so I don't give the wrong one like I did on... No, Bob. No, not Twitter. Uh, Instagram. Um, folks can find me on my personal Instagram at Lobo92345, or if you're baking inclined, on my baking Instagram at Lolo's Loaves. And you can also find me on tw- you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. That's G A M three R, as well as on the Popular Court YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda with new episodes every Friday. You can find those videos and more at youtubecom court. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. 